In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the prophet Micah, this time chapter 3. In today's chapter, the prophet Micah condemns the corrupt leaders of Judah and Israel for their injustice, greed, and failure to care for God's people. God declares woe upon the political and religious leaders who rule for their own gain, accept bribes, and refuse to seek justice and righteousness. So Micah warns that because of their sins, Zion will be plowed as a field and Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. Yet in the midst of his warnings, Micah offers a message of hope for the future. Good morning and blessed Advent. Today is Monday, December 4th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, if you have any comments or questions in our discussion, you are welcome to email them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell that right. It's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or you can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. You'll know which one's me. There's a couple of Phil Boos on there, but you'll, you'll be able to pick me out of the lineup. And then when you're able to send me messages, you can, and I'll try to get your questions or comments out on the air. But for now, let's welcome back to the program, the Reverend Jim Dobb. He's the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Havelock, North Carolina. Good morning, Pastor Dobb. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much, Pastor Boo. It's great to be back with you and all the listeners of Thy Strong Word in KFUO. It's wonderful, 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 and happy Advent to all. Well, it has been a little while since we have you on. Uh, how are things going down in North Carolina? I mean, it's December now. If I recall correctly, when I lived in North Carolina, where I'm from, uh, at least on my side of the state, I know you're on the opposite side. I grew up in the mountains, but it was pretty temperate. We might have a few inches of snow a couple days a year for the most part, and otherwise it was fine. Here in Minnesota, it's so much different. How are things down there? Well, we have not had snow yet, and we're in that wonderful roller coaster of one for a couple of days, we might be in the 70s, then it drops down into the 50s, and then it jumps up into the 60s, then it drops into the 40s. So it is our fall into winter, into spring, into fall, into winter, into <laughs> fall, into spring roller coaster that uh, we are infamous on the coast for this time of the year. So, um, a couple of days ago, it was in the 80s, then dropped into the 40s. And so the the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away <laughs> of of nice. But, you know, it's always nicer. Uh, we're in a little cold snap right now. So getting getting uh, ready for uh, Christmas as in in Advent time is always a, a, a good thing. It kind of makes it feel a little bit. I'm, I'm a Wisconsin boy. So um, <laughs> oh, yeah. shopping for Christmas when it was 70s is not always the the, the most interesting, but doesn't have good. the same feel to it. <laughs> does not, does not. But yet I don't miss trudging through the parking lots with blocks of uh, snow and uh, shoes encrusted in salt. So there is that. Well, that's the nice thing about where I live in Minnesota. It's in the Southwest corner. So, you know, we don't get quite Wisconsin weather or even Northern Minnesota weather. So it's usually a little bit more temperate. We're kind of like Iowa a little bit, but uh, I tell you what, you know, you talk about the Christmas season, it's Advent. 
Um, I, it was not a mistake that I chose to start covering Micah at the beginning of December. Toward the end of the month, when we're done with Micah, we're going to be doing, I think, almost a couple of weeks of Christmas hymns, just exploring different Christmas hymns. But now we're in Micah because, well, not not only as a prophecy that certainly applied to the events during the time in which they were written, but Micah points forward, at least over and over again, after he prophesies woe and judgment, but he's always looking forward to that day of the Lord, which was ushered in when Christ came as a child. So Micah, I think, is a great text for us to do as we uh, enter into Advent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and also the great joy is, you know, Micah is one of the, our proof texts, if you will, of the where where Jesus will be born. And, and so without uh, this tiny little prophet from a, a tiny little town, uh, we wouldn't have one of the greatest texts that we have in, in the Christmas season. And, and as much as I think most people think of that when they think of, you know, the Messiah and Micah, they think, oh, you know, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We think of King David, you know, I'm sorry, not King David, King Herod, pardon me, King Herod, uh, who's worried about this this son of David. Uh, you know, he he obviously finds out where he's going to be born from this very text. And so it's fascinating. But at the same time, as much as it is important for us to understand and look forward to the coming of the Messiah, of course, in our case, he's already come. This really has a lot of application for today. This is what I'm finding as we're going through the chapters. I mean, yes, it points forward to that that glorious day when Christ will reign forever. But at the same time, the message of judgment, the messages of warning, they are extremely, I don't know, just, I suppose throughout time, we've always had corrupt political, corrupt religious, any kind of leader can be corrupt. Um, but today it, it continues to apply, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. And I, I think it goes back to the idea of the the word of the Lord endures forever. And it is always a, a living and breathing document, not that it has lungs or, or things like that, but the, the fact that you can constantly read God's, God's word, and there's always that application there for us. And, and while the, the, the prophets may, um, we may say that, oh, well, the prophets were back then, we, we've got Jesus today, so we don't need anything more. But the message of the prophets rings as loudly, as clearly for us as a, as the warning needs to be for for today 2023 as it did back in 700 BC and and I think that's the beauty of reading the prophets you know I I talked to someone one time and they said well we don't need the old testament anymore we can throw the old testament away because we got the new testament well no you still need the old testament because yes it points it to Jesus but it also gives us the warnings of what not to do, what to avoid, so that we don't continually repeat history. Yes, we'll we'll continue to repeat history, and and we are we see how often we follow exactly what Israel did over and over and over and over the people therein. But the message, like you said, powerful, important, and needs to be heeded. Well, I can't wait to dig into it, but let's start with a word of prayer before we read any of our texts for today. If you'd lead us in that prayer, I'd appreciate it. Absolutely. Gracious, <clears throat> excuse me. Gracious Heavenly Father, as the colleagues of our during the Advent season say, stir up, 
uh, stir up in our hearts, stir up in our minds that wonderful love that we have for you, the desire to follow in your word, but also most importantly, the boldness to to share your good news and and the the word of of your word to other people. While it may not always be the most popular word that people need to he- uh, want to hear, it is something they need to hear. Bless us uh, in our study this morning so that in all things your name will be glorified through our, our words and that we may also have that wonderful peace that the Prince of Peace brings to us each day. Guard us, guide us, and keep us. In Jesus' most mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're only three chapters in, and, and Micah's not a long book. He's one of the minor prophets, only in the sense that he, we don't have a lot written from him. But maybe it'd be a good idea just to catch folks up. So remind us a little bit about the book of Micah, who he is, you know, what's going on in history when this is being written. I think what we have to remember, like you said, he's a minor prophet. It it doesn't mean that he's not an important prophet. It just means major prophets were long in length, minor prophets short in length. And and here Micah is a he's a small town guy, a small town prophet preaching in the big city. And yet he's not overwhelmed by the big city people. He's not influenced by them. He's not tempted to just go along with the flow because that's what everyone else does. Um, he prophesied between uh, 739, 693 BC. And, and one of the things that we, we look at this is the history is the northern kingdom, Israel, joins up with Syria. Syria. The southern kingdom, Judah, joins up with the, with the Assyrians. And as a result, you know, Judah, where um, the southern kingdom, where Micah prophesied, they lose their independence. They lose the, the who they were as God's people. There's great similarities between Isaiah as well as Micah. And I think that's the thing that we have to look at. Some of their prophecies, you could almost say, would be like word for word, just the words that they proclaim. And, and it's interesting there, Micah's called to preach against the, the political leaders, the religious leaders, and these are the most powerful people of the time. So here is this uh, hobunk nobody coming to speak against the the um, the authorities, the speak against the system, and and if you look at like Micah two, Micah two talked about um, that the the influencers, uh, if you will, to use today's language, they pressured him, do not speak. Do not preach. I think it was uh, in verse six. Do not preach because the message they were preaching was a message that um, very much so was a, a popular message, a message that people wanted to hear. And now here comes this guy and Micah, and he starts preaching this message. And it's a message that was not a popular message, a message of woe and destruction. And that was now stirring up the people in a not so good way and beginning to really call into question the prophets and the priests and the religious le- and the political leaders motives and 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 reasonings and now they realize this little guy is becoming a big thorn in their flesh and they don't like that you know much like how Jesus was a thorn in the flesh of the religious and political leaders of his time so it's it's really interesting to while a minor prophet a short little book, it is just packed full of tons of stuff. Well, you talk about his message being unpopular. And, and let's be honest, I think whether you're a religious leader, a political leader, 
or uh, you know a leader in your community or a leader of your household or maybe you're not a leader of anything maybe maybe you just you are you're one of the ones who are out there working here here's the deal none of us like to be told that uh, we've sinned I mean the law always accuses and so I think that the reason why people like those in that have responsibility leaders religious or otherwise uh, the reason why I think they're singled out is because they often their actions as you said influence more than just save their own lives to be to be someone who is called to follow is a blessing to be someone who's called to lead it's a blessing but there's also this heavy burden that comes along with it and and Micah or well God really through Micah is simply pointing out that you guys are straying so far and the people who follow you really don't even have a chance because you as leaders are giving up your duty to point people to me. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the, the, if you will, if you want to call it the greatest rub, but really it's not really the rub. That was the task that God gave to Micah is here is your, here is your message. The message that you are to go and proclaim, not just the message of, Hey, here's a couple maybe things you might want to consider changing. No, you are doing this wrong. And this is the, the consequences that are before you. And it's a message of repentance. And, and really, isn't that what, you know, John proclaimed before Jesus, the, the message of repentance in preparation for the king. And, and here now this Micah comes and preaches a, a message preparing people because ultimately the rest of, you know, four and five is, is that promise of the Messiah to come. So again, the law, heavy, heavy, heavy law. This is not, chapter three is not one of those warm, fuzzy chapters in the Bible. <laughs> if you get warm fuzzies from this, this chapter, I, I think maybe we, we might have to have some <laughs> counseling sessions or, or something like that. Cause it's, it's just not a, you know, it's, it's a heavy text, but an, a, a rich text because there's a lot of symbolism, but there's also, there is hope. It, there is hope in this text. So, and I don't want to belabor getting into the text, but you know, yeah. we talked about how he is speaking truth to power to use kind of another sort of modern or postmodern language. He's speaking this truth to power and it's very dangerous for him. And, and I want to share a little bit in my community, we have a ministerium and this is made up of pastors of all the different tribes and flavors of churches. Most communities have one of these your pastor, if you have an LCMS pastor, he may or may not participate. Sometimes they're very worth participating in. Sometimes, I'll be honest, they're not. The one I'm a part of is of, uh, while we certainly have our disagreements, for most part, we're very cohesive. We look to the Bible. We are fairly conservative in our theology. So you can imagine that we share some concerns that that sort of rise above maybe our differences in interpretations and things like abortion. And the reason why I bring this up is because where I live in Minnesota, uh, they have done everything they can to bend over backwards to provide and protect uh, the termination of children in the womb. And so in an effort to speak truth to power, one of a local pastor uh, wrote this letter to our governor and he got some other pastors to join in. And they went and they made a meeting, a set of an appointment to meet with the governor to read the letter to him. And I don't uh, remember exactly how it went, but I can tell you how I know it went. I suppose they met 
and he politely listened to their letter and then they went home <laughs> mm-hmm. and nothing changed. Now, I'm not saying they didn't do anything right. In fact, I'm, you know, good for them. But here's my point. We live in a country where for the most part, we can do that. We can go up to our leaders and say, you're a poor, miserable sinner and here's why and you need to repent. And there's not a whole lot of, I guess there's not a whole lot of risk to that. Yeah. Um, at Micah, and I say all that just to say this, in Micah's time, that's simply not the case. I mean, we have prophets who are being hired by the rulers and leaders to just proclaim good things that God says about them, which is odd because they got to know it's not true, but it's just enough to satisfy the people that they're doing a good job. When Micah comes in and shakes up that cart, I mean, this isn't some sort of political, I'm going to go and drain the swamp or I'm going to fix Washington or whatever various politicians have said over the years. This is a literal putting his life in his hands to take a message that he he kind of knows that they're not going to heed, even though he hopes that they will. Exactly. And and the idea of telling it the, the message, the prophecy, and not... The, the the things that you know interestingly the the things that Micah prophesies about he does not ever get to see the fruit of his labor if you will he dies before all of the things that he prophesies actually come to fruition and so you know not only is he proclaiming a message a prophecy that is of uh, not earworthy to in the minds of the people of the the priests the prophets and the false prophets and the religious leaders. But it's not something that is happening the next day, the next week. And so there's great uh, hesitation now, you know, if you will, of, of people not paying attention because, well, we don't see it happening. It's much like how we as pastors in the, the last three weeks of the church year are proclaiming the end times, that Jesus is coming back. And, and people are, for thousands of years now, we've been proclaiming Jesus is coming back. Well, we don't see him. So we'll just keep doing whatever we want to do. My, my favorite biblical word is debauchery. So it's let's just keep having this debaucherous lifestyle. We'll just keep doing what we want to do because, well, Jesus will give us a sign. There'll be a countdown clock that'll come up in the sky, and then we'll have enough time to repent and everything will be good. And and so it's it's amazing. And I have in my notes towards the end, so I guess as I do in Bible class, I always give the answers way before the questions. But... <laughs> Interesting is when Jeremiah proclaimed his prophecy, they wanted to kill him, but they said, no, Micah was not killed for proclaiming this prophecy. King Hezekiah saved his life and Hezekiah repented from his his lifestyle and, and doing the, the very things that he was, uh, um, Jer- uh, Micah was prophesying against. And because Micah was not put to death, nor was Jeremiah. And what a, a, a very interesting connection that became then. And, and I've got in my notes later, and, and I'll bring that back up again, is where in Jeremiah that's quoted that Micah, Micah's prophecy here later saves Jeremiah down the road for proclaiming almost uh, a, a you know, a mere message if you will. And, and how fascinating that, that was. And, you know, again, we, as pastors, we, we go to cemetery school, I mean, seminary, um, <laughs> and, and we learn all this stuff and, and then you keep rereading things and relearning things and re-referencing things. And, and 
how, how awesome it is to see how Scripture all ties together. Well, I don't know about you, and just to piggyback on your point, I mean, th- this show has been a blessing to me because when I first started, I, I asked the director of programming, the uh, ineffable Andy Bates, and I asked him, I said, well, how, you know, how do I pick a topic? And, and he gave me some great advice. Uh, he said, well, just pick whatever you want to learn more about. <laughs> and I, yeah, and, and sometimes we go in thinking, well, your pastor or your, your instructor, your professor, they have all the answers. No, no. I mean, but this gives us an opportunity to dig back into God's word. And I learned so much. I've never claimed to know even close to all of it. And so it's just great to be in here. But anyway, getting back to Micah, though, you talked about how he is up against a, a particularly maybe familiar culture <laughs> because it mm-hmm. connects so much. So before we even get into the text, I know people are like, just get on with it. But, but but let's talk just a little bit about the background. Let's talk about exactly what's going on on the ground in Israel and Judah at this time. Uh, and maybe make some connections to today. I don't think it's going to be hard because, you know, as much as I believe that America is like the new Rome, the United States is like the new Rome, um, complete with pending downfall, uh, <laughs> yeah. we also see a lot of similarity in the wealth of our nation uh, and the and the depravity that we see in a lot of these nations that are in conflict and that sort of thing. Absolutely. We we see that there's great significance as as we look at the where Micah fits in into Israel's history. Um there's great instability politically. Um there's a huge amount of moral uh decline, moral degeneration. Um, talked about already a little bit about uh, Israel going with uh, uh, Syria and Judah with Assyria, the the northern and the southern kingdoms, not the not the country. You know, the the tribes to the north, the tribes to the south. Uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, being the smaller of the two. But but we look also like uh, riches and wealth and luxury, all the vices that the people had. It, they live side by side with poverty and misery and squalor. So you had, if you want to say the two classes, the the ultra rich, the ultra poor, they were they were side by side. And 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 as a result of all that, we we see that there's such great mistrust that is developing, developing within families, um, within neighbors or between neighbors, um, even within the whole the people to the political system and and all those kind of things. Unfortunately, the prophets and the priests became nothing more than hirelings for some people. Instead of those who were supposed to proclaim the word of the Lord, they did their job for for money. Now, don't get me wrong. I know your listeners are are like, but wait, we pay our pastor. We're going. Most of us are going through budget time right now. Does that mean we should not pay our pastor? No, 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 no. They they were taking advantage of the of the system and and the things that Micah pro, uh, prophesied they eventually did come true just not in his lifetime he didn't get to see those things but but we look in our culture today e- e- even in the United States you have the ultra rich on one street and and you go two blocks over and you have the very poor. We have a very historical city 15 miles up the road, and downtown of the historical city and the, uh, the, the historical society takes great pride in how, how good everything looks, and, and everything is used to be the first uh, capital of the colony of, of North Carolina, and, and it's 
gorgeous. But literally, you cross the tracks, literal train tracks, because the tracks go through the city. You cross the tracks, you go up two blocks, and it is a di absolutely different story. The houses are run down. There's a, a lot of uh, uh, violence. There's drugs, prostitution, things like that. But you go three blocks behind you, and it's this pristine, back in the 1700s looking houses, and everything's perfect. So I think you have that, again, you have that, um, the rich next to the poor and that great taking advantage of each other. And then that resentment that then builds between the, the, the class, class fiefdoms and, and warfare, if you will. You know, that reminds me a little bit of when I was up, uh, well, when I was, would it be up now? No, it'd be down now. <laughs> when I was down in St. Louis uh, for a seminary, you know, I lived right on Forest Park Avenue. And, and if you're from St. Louis, you go, oh, you did. And be like, well, no, no, no. <laughs> right across the railroad tracks, the Amtrak. I lived in those sort of cheap apartments. But as you said, just one block down, not even, right across the tracks, there's those million-dollar home, multi, multi, yeah. multi-million-dollar homes right there. Um, and, and then, of course, you go a little farther north, and it gets even, even worse, I'm afraid. So there's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of you know, uh, I guess a lot of things that people seem to care a lot about today, it influences a lot of politics. Well, let's just go ahead and see how the Lord is handling this injustice and mistreatment of others through his prophet today in our chapter. Finally, we're going to read chapter three. Oh, I'll read just the first three verses. I'll be beginning with verse one from the English Standard Version. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones into pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? All right, let's just pause there. Uh... That escalated quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There was there was no mincing of words right from right off the rip. In there, yeah. I mean, it just goes from you know, aren't you supposed to be just? But instead, you're disgusting, vicious cannibals. Why no mincing of words? I mean, I mean, I, I guess I have to assume it's because there's there's righteous indignation behind these behind these words. Absolutely, and I, I think it all starts right from the start. Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Right here, he's he's talking to all the leaders, to the to the political leaders and to the religious leaders. So so the understanding here is is right from the start, this is talking to those at the top. And it's and it's every person in authority in there, the people who are supposed to know and as execute God's justice and, and justice for God's people. But instead, they're not acting on behalf of God. They're acting on behalf of self. Instead of honoring and serving God, they're serving self. And, and therefore, the, the leaders who are supposed to be the conduits of, of divine, um, you know, divine goodness, if you will, instead, they're just taking all of the goods, the stuff that's meant for God, they're, they're giving it to, to themselves. Um, and, and, and what a kind of a crazy aspect that is, that here the people who should have known better are the ones who are the 
guiltiest of sin of sinners um, on that. And and we talk about you know God has set up like the 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 system if you will. They have the moral law, the Ten Commandments. You have the the civil law, the government and the social um, the the social regulations and ceremonial law, the the worship and and church regulations. So there's all these rules and parameters on how they're supposed to do things. But instead of hating evil and loving good, these corrupt and greedy leaders they are hating good and loving evil. And, and, and right there, who hate the good, who love the evil. And so then it, Micah's not necessarily talking about that all these leaders are cannibals. Now, some commentators talk about, well, maybe there was human sacrifices involved. Yeah. But I, I think that's a real far stretch. You know, they're, they're, you know, I think there might have been some of those things, but you really, really, really have to f- search hard for one or two commentators out of like, um, like 15 or 20, you know, and those are kind of like the frill, the, you know, the fringe ones. But if you look at this, like tearing the flesh up from the bones and stripping the skin, this really is talking like this is that imagery language that the Bible was very famous for. Um, and, and so it's, it's removing from the people, their sustenance, removing their shelter, taking away the, the things that help protect them. The, the breaking of their bones is, is removing and destroying their livelihood while chopping them up is, you know, is, is not just a desecration of a body, which is in biblical times a horrific thing like it is today, but it's loss of everything. You know, your, your bones are what hold our frame together and you take away your bones, you got nothing. And, and you take away everything except for the people it was their trust in the Lord. So we see how dishonesty and fraud and extortion and threats, foreclosures, high interest, these corrupt courts and these this outright violence, all these unrighteous rulers, they they seem to have done it all. And without even thinking about it or or feeling remorse about it, because in the end, it was it was continually coming back for them for profit and for gain. And, and we'll talk a little bit more later on in the text of, about how that came back for profit and gain. But, but, but really what it is, is, is instead of loving good and hating evil, they loved evil and they hated good. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break, but we're going to come right back to this text. I, uh, you know, one of the things I want uh, to think about while we're on our break is, you know, why such, why such vivid imagery? Um, and I think it's going to, you're going to find that it's consistent with the way even Jesus talks about when he's trying to make people understand the severity of their sins. But we'll talk about that more uh, when we get back. So don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, 
go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and this is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend Jim Dobb. He's the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Havelock, North Dakota. Before we get back to our text, which we're just really just now getting into, but it's it's good stuff so far, folks. I just want to remind you that if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. You can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com or find me on Facebook. All right. So before the break, Pastor, you know, you had talked about how, well, some commentators on the fringe say, well, maybe this is a literal reference to cannibalism. And I'm sure such crazy things happen, just as you said. But I'm much more with you that this is supposed to be quite symbolic of basically just the, the, the viciousness of what it looks like. Because to them, I'm sure they are able to conjure up a million different excuses or rationalizations on why their behavior is okay. But if you were to say, well, you're a cannibal, they'd be like, no, that's awful. I would never do that. And then, well, this is what you're really doing. I, I, it's kind of a Nathan and David moment, you know, Atahish, you are the man. Or Jesus, the one who hates his brother, has already committed murder against him. It's basically uh, this vivid imagery to shake some sense into people that what you're doing isn't some small thing. It's akin to tearing the flesh off your fellow people. I, I, we, I, I thought of, uh, and I looked it up, let me grab it here. I thought of... Uh, Another text from Ezekiel, uh, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. So as and that was just brought to my mind from what you were saying. These people are supposed to care for them. Uh, the leaders are supposed to care for the sheep. Instead, they're, well, just stripping all the resources from them. Exactly. And, and I think when we look at this whole picture, it, biblically speaking, the, the Bible does some some amazing things where we can we take some texts in a very literal sense, but then we take some some texts in a very um, kind of symbolic picturesque way, and I think that's sometimes what we have to remember is that um, as as Micah is speaking to the people, they understand I think what is happening. They understand what he's talking about. Because we're so far removed from when this prophecy was given, we we don't always understand the words and understand the imagery. But I think the words here are given in, in such a powerful descriptive way because the fact that it it moves far beyond just people eating each other. That you know, we, we talk about biblical her, hermeneutics, you know, and how does scripture interpret scripture? We don't we don't have other scriptures that that are talking about cannibalism and things like that. And so I think we we look at the the idea of this is a powerful picture painted for the people, and and that is the um, the the great reminder. And and really, even it's it's such a powerful um, emphasis placed upon those those religious and, and political leaders, like, here's how bad your actions are. It's not just a little, well, you had, like, in today's world, when a p politician falls from grace, 
I had a minor indiscretion in judgment. No, you you destroyed my people. You ruined them. And and it goes, you know, beyond of, well, I just wasn't thinking right, you know, and and how often a temporary lapse. How often do we hear that? You know, when when a, a guy gets or a gal gets in trouble and well, I I was under a, a, a mountain, a, a mountain's worth of stress. And and I just didn't think my actions through. And I I deeply re- regret any pain I may have caused. Well, notice they never said that what they did was wrong. It it was always something else. Well, see, I think that connects too because I, I don't know that things have changed a lot in terms of these sort of false, just face saving apologies and false contrition because we even see in verse four, let's read that for the first time. Then they will cry to Yahweh, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. So one assumes that prophecy is to call people to repentance. It seems here in verse four that even if they were to repent, that he's, they're not going to be heard. Uh, why, why do we get that sense? What, what does this mean? Well, usually the idea is that if, if someone calls upon the Lord, he will hear them and he will answer them. But the how we can interpret and how we, we understand this is these false prophets are calling upon the Lord, but they're calling upon the Lord through their falsehood. So the Lord will not answer their falsehood, and he will hide his face from them because they have done such heinous deeds to the people and so they keep crying upon the Lord, looking to, to be shown mercy, but because they have in return shown no mercy to any of the people under their care, there is no way that the Lord then shows mercy because their words are hollow. Their words are empty. Their words mean nothing. And, and it's really interesting that, that we think, well, that's not fair, but God doesn't work on a fairness system. You know, it's not like, well, you can do whatever you want to do. And, and therefore, that's how it goes. And, and perhaps maybe the application for us today is for us in the church, how often do we, we hear the law and we have that and we think, oh, that's great. But yeah, we know forgiveness is coming right behind it. So therefore, we can just go ahead and do what we want because we know we're going to be forgiven. So let's just keep sinning because sinning is fun. Sinning is easy. Sinning is great. But we know God's going to forgive us. So we just go ahead and do it, do it, um, do it anyways. But, you know, the, the problem for us is that, you know, sometimes we're, we're not always so bold. We look past sin. We, we become speechless when it, when it comes to sin. Um, and, and sometimes when we hear, like you said earlier in the program, if we're told of our sin, well, we don't like that. Who are you to tell me that what I've done is wrong? Who are you to tell me that, that, that I'm in danger spiritually with something and, and now I feel threatened. So now, you know, forget what you have to say. I'm just going to keep doing what I want. And, and so I think sometimes we have to be, be mindful of that. But notice, even though he knew this message was horrifically powerful, he still proclaimed it. And I think that's the, the encouragement for us today is that we call sin, sin, and we don't allow it that we give the impression that we condone sin either by not by remaining silent or even by not being courageous enough to speak. 
And, and I think we ask the Lord for, for strength so that we can share with others the, the law, but then follow with the gospel as well. But, but we first have to preach the law. People might say, well, where were the prophets? Where were the priests? Where were the spokesmen for God during this time? Well, he has something to say to them too, beginning with verse 5. You got that right. Thus says Yahweh concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. That's the end of verse 7. In just these three verses, you know, he takes to task the false prophets too because we have, well, the leaders and now we have the prophets. Interestingly enough, in verse 5, he says, you know, the prophets who lead my people astray. Already we see there's a separation between these false prophets and those whom God considers his people. Yeah, they, they have something to uh, to repent of too, but this darkness that God promises, that's ominous. Very much so. And and you notice in in going back on, on chapter one, it says, and I said, and, and here it's very clear that this is Micah speaking. So this is Micah speaking, not not just the Lord speaking through Micah. So this is Micah speaking, but it's interesting when it says my people, it's not Micah's people. This is a direct reference back to the Lord. So now Micah is making the distinguish here in in the use of the the use of the adjective my people. These are God's people. So Micah now is speaking directly to the prophets and the priest, and and here their their modus operandi was completely false motives, false, false um, deception, because what they were doing is if the people paid them enough, whether it be the leaders or, or the others, paid them enough, they got their payday, they would give a very favorable prophecy. So give them enough money and you got a really good message. So now don't go back to your pastor and say, here, pastor, here's $100,000. Um, now give me a really good sermon. That probably will not go over well. Now, don't get me wrong. Pastors might like $100,000, but we are not televangelists, things like that. But but that was the whole point. But if if you didn't pay the prophet enough money, all of a sudden then he would use all kinds of tricks against you. He would he would give you a prophecy that was horrible. He would have people chase chase after you and and make those people's lives absolutely miserable. And so the the concept now here is... These men who are supposed to be uh, proclaimers of God's word, who are sincerely telling others of the goodness of the Lord and, and telling of, of that, their message was not authentic because God doesn't show favoritism. You know, Jeremiah talks about it, um, you know, woe to those who preach peace, 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 where there is no peace. Here, Micah is, is doing the exact same thing. So God's judgment will befall them. And darkness, meaning that God hides his face from his people. And and how sad that is. You know, that's uh, as if it's like the ultimate example of hell, where what is hell? Hell is the eternal separation from the Lord. It's not just fire and brimstone gnashing of teeth, but it's that eternal separation from the Lord. 
And it, and it's interesting where it, it talks about that they will, in verse uh, five, that they will um, uh, put nothing in their mouths and then it'll go, they'll be verse uh, seven, I think it is, where that they will be put to shame and they shall cover their lips. The Hebrew translation there is that they will cover their mustaches. And I think that is so awesome because English, we, we don't always get the full flavor of the Hebrew, but to cover your mustache. Now, that's kind of a, a goofy translation, but it, what it did was, is if you think about it, if you cover your mustache, what do you have to do? You have to cover your mouth. So they are so much put to shame by the Lord. And, and the darkness talked about here is that all of the prophecies that they've been getting paid very handsomely for never came true. So now they're being covered. They have to cover their mouths because the Lord has brought them to shame. He has brought them to ruin because he hasn't heard them. He didn't listen to them. He didn't answer them because he's not rewarding sin. And now they have to cover their mouths to shame the people to show that they are a bunch of uh, a bunch of hucksters of holiness. And and I guess you think about that today, how many television preachers are proclaiming all these messages of peace, proclaiming uh, name it, claim it, and proclaim it, you know, type of things that if you just give me enough money, I'll send you this little piece of cloth that you can hold while you <laughs> give prayers and all your prayers are going to be answered. If you get this little, you know, Ziploc bag of water that I send you after you send me a lot of money, all your prayers are going to be answered. This is Micah 3 in 2023. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's amazing, you know, it's so appropriate that they had to cover their mouths so that they could never again predict, never again proclaim a false prophecy. And, and so the religious leaders are as guilty as the political leaders. And Micah calls them straight out. But as the Pharisees uh, accused Jesus and asked him where he had the authority to do and say the things he said, well, Micah here just jumps the gun and goes right to why they should listen to him rather than the false prophets. In verse 8, he says, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of Yahweh, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And we'll just stop there. So, you know, oftentimes when you're you're trying to, like in a criminal investigation, if you're trying to figure out you know, if someone had motive to do something, obviously you ask who stands to benefit from that, the, what happened. In this case, I, I don't think he's directly appealing to this, but we can look back and say, you know, Micah, who, ha who stands to benefit? The ones who basically get paid to pronounce peace or Micah who is standing up against, um, well, all the powers that be and, and, and risking his own life. Now, that doesn't automatically make his message true. There are probably plenty of unstable people that might do that. But his courage comes from the fact that he is sticking to Yahweh, that he's filled with power. That's in opposition to these guys who are basically just filled with greed for money. Absolutely. And notice how sometimes, especially like the Pharisees and, and even St. Paul did it, they loved their pedigree. All of the things that they can list out there, and and even the doc, uh, the some of the preachers today. Let me show you how smart I am by all the degrees that I can list out. One verse, one verse gives his credentials, and it's not even really 
that many words in the verse. It's not a, a huge, long, you know, sometimes verses go on forever, but no, one verse. And filled with justice, he knows right and wrong because it's from God. Filled with might is that he is bold. He has the, the courage to speak and to denounce the sin no matter, no matter what. It, it is uh, an, unlike, uh, an unlikely message to, to be received with greatness. And unlike the false prophets, um, who only want to be uh, to satisfy themselves, to get their money, to do all that stuff. Um, in, in a sense, it's it's like Micah's Luther moment. Here I stand. I can do no other. You know, and and yet, aren't we as Christians, uh, especially for us as pastors, aren't we to do the same thing? That we are to have the boldness to preach the law, and and to to point out sin, to call out sin. Yes, we follow it with the gospel, of course. You don't just preach law and, and then you go home and say, okay, now now you're going to beat everyone else to, to lunch because we got out 15 minutes earlier. But but we rebuke the false teachers. We we call them out on sin, no matter what the public opinion is, that we don't just preach to what the itching ears want to hear. We, we give the full, the full counsel of God's word. Well, let's hear how he continues, starting with verse 9. He says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on Yahweh and say, is not Yahweh in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house, I'm sorry, the mountain of the house a wooded height. And that ends our chapter today. I did say at the beginning he's going to give some hope. Uh, that actually doesn't come till tomorrow. <laughs> but, so be sure to come back for the hope. But anyway, headed back up to the top. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel. Uh, something we haven't hit on explicitly, but he's also preaching to two different nations. That's that's a little interesting too. Absolutely, he's talking both to to Israel, you know, to to the northern kingdoms, uh, northern kingdom, and and the powers therein, and he's preaching to the southern kingdom, to Judah, and and it's kind of it's kind of really interesting that while. Micah is under the reign of Hezekiah. He doesn't mention Hezekiah by name. Now, perhaps maybe Hezekiah, um, you know, didn't have control over over the rest of the people. You know, sometimes you have a, a, a head of state who is still the king, but just doesn't, the people run, run roughshod. But, you know, he doesn't name Hezekiah here. Maybe it's out of respect for, for the office of king. Um, we're, we're not really 100% sure. It's just one of kind of those interesting points. But, but notice that now in this part here, Micah is displaying the might that he talked about uh, in especially uh, verse, uh, verse 8, where he is now going full force against the corruption. He is not mincing the words. And you're like, wait, he's not mincing words? What has he been doing for the first uh, eight, uh, first chapter or verses one through seven? Uh, were those not mincing words? No, now he's going full bore on there. And and so here he's nailing all the things once again. And, and 
you know, the bribery in the courts were for a favorable judgment, the bribery in the prophecies for a favorable teaching, all the things that were completely wrong, all the things that were completely there is how the love of money corrupted the people. And it was demonstrated by their lack of integrity for the people. And so God's judgment now is upon the sin. God's judgment is he declares them guilty. Um, he doesn't reward good for the evil that they were doing. And destruction is awaiting the people. And, and destruction is waiting for their sin-filled lives. And we see that now in verse 12 with the destruction of Jerusalem. As the leaders try to build the, the Jerusalem on the foundation of sin, it's now destined for destruction. Um, and and it's, it's interesting. It's how, you know, the temple was central for Jewish worship. And, and now the temple is, is what's going to be destroyed. Um, and, and the, the interesting thing also, as, as I see it, is that the, the Lord doesn't answer the prayers of the unrighteous in the sense that, that here they're looking for the, the signs, they're the divination, they're looking for all these things. And, and they're like, no, you're not going to get that. So when they talk about it, it, that it's brought into um, into darkness upon them. Again, it's it's not just a physical darkness. This is that that spiritual sense that they are just left out in the back. Um, no longer are they going to be able to uh, to share their false words. They are going to be concealed. Um, no longer is their hypocrisy going to happen. But but again, as I mentioned earlier. Micah doesn't get to see these things. Um, Jerusalem is destroyed by Babylon 586. Micah's already dead. And so it's it's kind of interesting how this, this uh, prophecy comes, but you have a long period of time before it is actually fulfilled. But when we see that how many trusted in their security from foreign attack and, and as a false shield of judgment from, from the Lord... It, it ends up becoming just a, a pile of stones in a field. There's no foundation for their hope because their hope wasn't put in Yahweh. Their hope wasn't put in the Lord. Their hope was put in themselves, in their greed, in their desires. And, um, and it's interesting, you know, Micah isn't put to death here. Usually you would think that a prophet who, who prophesies against a king is killed. Hezekiah doesn't kill him. And as I said before, um, that ultimately Jeremiah's life is saved um, because of because of what uh, Micah, Micah was not killed. And so when the, again, when Jeremiah prophesies this, because Micah wasn't killed, Jeremiah wasn't killed. But we do see, and, and leading your, your listeners into chapter four, uh, we have the great joy that is coming. That, that Micah does give a promise of mercy, a promise of restoration for all of those who are penitent, Jews and Greeks, by sending the Messiah. So while this was like a super, super heavy text um, filled with a lot of imagery, but also great application for us, it, it plows the field, if you will, it, which the law does. The law tears us down so that we can be readied for the gospel and the ready for the promise, and a promise that's coming. 
Yeah, I think it was Luther that said something very loosely translated. Uh, God first, you know, tears down to nothing that which he then makes uh, something out of. That's a terrible paraphrase. But the point is, yeah, God often, just like he tears us down and builds us back up, this is what he's promising to do. I, I think it speaks a word of truth that we don't have a, any time at all to, to really dig into. But, you know, there are people today, Christians, Jews, and others, who continue to put their faith, hope, and trust in the plot of land, in the temple that mm-hmm. has already been fulfilled in Christ. And and I think that that's something that we have to warn people against because that's exactly what Micah's warning them against. All these people cared about was their earthly rule, and, and Yahweh is using Micah to point them elsewhere. Exactly. And I think I think that's the, the struggle when, you know, what does Jesus say? D- you know, do not put your, your trust in, in things where moth and rust will destroy. And and I think we as a culture, as a society, even even as a church, we we make things so hallowed and sacred that are not necessarily appropriate so to do. You know, now don't get me wrong, you know, Jesus talks a lot about money, but but ultimately it's the love of money that's the root of evil. And we see that love of money in this text with the mm-hmm. political leaders, the religious leaders, um, you know, it, it yes, it takes money to run a church to to do programming and, and and whatnot, but it's when the desire to have more and more and more takes over and above the worship of the Lord and keeping God at the center, then we have that major issue, as as I see it. Yeah. Well, this has been a great text to go through, and I'm so thankful to have had my guest this morning, the Reverend Jim Dobb. He's the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Havelock, North Carolina. Uh, You're also a chaplain in the armed services, isn't that right? I am. I serve as one of the auxiliary chaplains in the United States Coast Guard. We have uh, 105 of us. We are volunteer chaplains. We meet all the requirements of a Navy chaplain, except I don't have to run. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I'll have to look into that maybe. Anyway, thanks, brother, so much for being on this show. And as he talked about earlier, tomorrow's chapter does present a dramatic contrast to the warnings and judgments that we just covered. Micah foresees a day when God will establish his kingdom in Jerusalem and bring lasting peace and justice to all nations. He speaks very much like Isaiah. People worldwide will seek God's teaching. War will cease. Weapons will become tools. And people will live in security and without fear. But when will this happen? Well, tune in as we talk about it tomorrow. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. 